If you have your Bible with you today, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want to kind of bank off of what we were talking about Wednesday night. I don't know how many of you were here Wednesday night when we were, when we were preaching. Uh, when we were here, we were, talking about, uh, we were talking about coming into the presence of the Lord. We were talking about growing in the Lord. We were talking about what that means and, and what's required of us. And so uh, today I want to kind of bounce off of that again. And I'm, I'm going to review some things that we talked about Wednesday night in case you weren't here. Uh, But before we do all that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you today, God, we just ask that you would uh, that you would guide us as we as we look at your word today, as we we come and we uh, we take part in the fellowship of your people. We take part in the the fellowship of your presence as we uh, as we dig into this word. God, we pray in Lord that you you would open our hearts to uh, what you would have us to know, what you would have us to hear, God. And we pray that your spirit would come and. And that it would apply this word to our hearts, that you would uh, make sure that everything that gets said here this morning uh, is according to your will and according to what uh, what these folks need. And Lord, we're praying the same prayer, God, for uh, the 1030 service and, and even already looking forward to tonight. We just ask in Lord that you would let us spend the day in your presence, uh, basking in your word, hearing your voice, God. And we just uh, we already thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. And we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Philippians chapter one. Um, you guys already know you you definitely know if you've been here any length of time, you know that salvation is something that starts on the inside. It's not something you can work from the outside in. It's something that has to work from the inside out. God has to change your heart. You can't just uh, you can't just um, put put uh, fix it all up on the outside. I was going to say put makeup on a pig. You can't. Uh, You can't just uh, dress it all up on the outside and make it look good and say, well, God's pleased with me because I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing better than my neighbor is. I'm doing better than that guy. I'm doing a whole lot better than I used to. And so you can't just say that that is salvation. Salvation works from the inside out. What I want you to see today as we look at Philippians chapter one is the same thing that we saw from Micah when we were uh, talking about that at Wednesday night is that growing in the Lord also works from the inside out. So many times we take, and I, I'm guilty of it myself, we, we talk about growing in the Lord and growing in His, uh, in His will and His ways, growing closer to Him and relationship with Him. And we think if I just do better, if I just fix all this that's going on, if I, if I, if I stop doing these things and I start doing these things, uh, it, then I'll grow in the Lord and I, I, I'll get, m- uh, deeper in relationship with him. I'll know him more and be known by him more. I'll be able to walk more in his statues. And we try to do that from the outside in when the reality is that it's going to take a changed heart for once. It's going to take a time when you were born again and your, your heart was taken out. That old stony heart was taken out and a new heart was put in the God promises that to his people in Ezekiel chapter 36 where I'll take out that stony heart, put in a, a new heart that loves me and desires to do my commandments, desires to walk after me, desires to uh, to serve me and worship me and love me, has a love for me. Uh, I'm going to do that. But it also it also is a heart that is growing in that love. It's a heart that's growing in in uh, in the word of God. And that's what we're going to see today as we look at Philippians chapter one is is you can't do it by fixing up the outside. You can't grow in the Lord. You can't grow in his presence, in his, in his will, in his ways, in his worship. You can't grow in relationship with him from the outside in. It's got to be from the inside 
out as he continually changes your heart. So we're going to look at that this morning. Philippians is a letter. Paul wrote this letter when he was in prison. Actually, it's more like more like house arrest. But anyway, he was writing from prison and Paul loved these people. I mean, he loved all the churches that he wrote to, of course. But this letter, he 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 um, he, he writes this letter and he gives us uh, so many indications of how special these people were to him. They, uh, they he says, if we would go back, we're going to read verses nine through 11. That's where we're going to be. But if we backed up from uh, to verse three and started reading there, it would say, you know, I, I thank God for you. Uh, I'm, I'm yearning for you. Let me just read it. And then I won't have to summarize. It says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you and making requests, requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my, is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So he, this is a special congregation to him. If we flipped over to the back, we're not going to. But if we did, the last part of this book, he would say, you know, there was no other church that gave me aid, that helped me when I first left Macedonia to go into the, you know, to his missionary journey. So this was a special congregation. And he loved them all through the book. You can see it, his love for them, his, his exhorting them, his rejoicing over them. And verses nine through 11 is going to be Paul's prayer for them. And what I want to do is I want to look at this prayer that he prays. And I want you to see uh, how we compare. This is what the apostle Paul prayed for those folks. Let me just read nine through 11. Then we'll take it apart and put it back together. And hopefully it'll make sense to you. It says, and this I pray. Remember, he said, I'm praying for you every day. He said, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. What's his overarching concern for these people? It's that they would grow in their love, that they would grow in their love of Christ, that they would be filled with that righteousness that comes from uh, from that outpouring of love as it overflows to say, I want your love to abound means I want it to overflow out of your heart into into all different things. And we're going to talk about all that in just a second. But that's his overarching concern. Now, if you were talking about what what is the overarching concerns of your prayers, of my prayers, I'd be willing to bet that 99.99999% of the time, it's going to be, God, I need help in my stuff, my finances. I need help in my health. God, I need you physical blessings, material blessings. I've got a problem. I've got an issue. I've got a thing going on. Most of the time, our prayers, when we come and we meet with God, they, they, they contain us either giving God advice or us asking for help. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for help. 
asking for this, asking for that. God says, you bring those supplications to me. But Paul's overarching concern, he didn't say, you know, Philippians, I'm praying for you guys that you don't have to go through these bad, hard times. I'm praying for you guys that you won't have to endure persecution or that you won't be let down by all the things that are going on in the world or that you will be prosperous and that you will be healthy. And that you, he didn't pray any of that kind of stuff. He said, I, my main prayer for you, my focus for you is that you would grow in the Lord, that you would grow in the love that abounds more and more in knowledge and judgment and that you would be filled with the fruits of righteousness and that this is his prayer. And so I got to thinking if if I only had one thing, you know, I had some I had some issues this week, you just in my own family. And so if I only had one thing, if today was my last day on earth, if today was the day that, you know, either Christ returned or or, or I, I passed away for some reason. Uh, if today was the day, what would be the one piece of advice? If I could only say one thing, one thing to my kids to to uh, to remember me by to to make sure that they understand, you know, the man's last words are going to be important. He's going to choose them carefully. He's not going to be talking about the weather or the sports team or all that kind of stuff. If I could give one thing to them, what would it be? And I found myself thinking on the fact the same way Paul was here, that I want them to be servants of Christ. I want them to be Christians. I want them to live for Christ, live lives devoted to Christ. You know, it's not all about some people may want their kids to have more than they had. Some people may want their kids to, you know, grow up and have a good job and life insurance and a great mate and, you know, nice house and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Some people would want them to be uh, men of integrity and there's nothing wrong with that. I definitely want that. But the, the central core of all those things, if I could say one thing to them is that I want you, even more important than where you go to college, what kind of job you do, whether you're successful or not, I want you to be a person whose life is devoted to Christ. If that is the case, everything else is going to take care of itself. You may be rich, you may be poor, you may have trials, you may, you may have a blessed life all the days of your life, but everything else is going to take care of itself. I really don't care where they, I shouldn't say I don't care, but it's not as important where they end up 50 years from now. The, what's important is where they end up 150 years from now. That's the, that's the most important thing. And so what Paul is saying here is, he's, I want you to grow in the love that abounds more and more in knowledge and judgment and being filled with righteousness and being, you know, all those things. We'll take them apart. I probably won't have time to get through every verse, but you just follow me and we'll get as far as we get. His prayer is for their love for God and their love for God's people to grow more and more, to excel. You know, today in this day and age, especially in in, in, the, in the times that we live, it's just it's just easy. It's easy to be mediocre. It's easy just to do enough to get by. You know, it's just I, I don't have to excel. I don't have to press the limits. I don't have to do unless it's something I love. Then I'll press the limits. Then I'll excel. <clears throat> but in most things, I'm. I just do enough to get by. As long as I do enough to get by, as long as, as long as I know I got my ticket punched, as long as I know it's okay, it's okay for me just to, just to, just to do enough, you know, just to ride this thing out, just to coast. It's easy. It's comfortable. I don't have to come out of my comfort zone. I don't have to press forward. I don't have to press toward the mark of the high calling. I don't have to run the race to try to win the prize. As long as I finish, I'm good. I don't have to do all those things. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more comfortable. Uh, Dana and I bought two houses in our life. Is that right? We only bought two houses. 
You know, and we bought one and sold it, moved, bought another one. So we, we've bought two houses. Both times, I was thinking about this this morning, both times we bought a house, the yard was jacked up. First time, it wasn't no grass. You know, it was, it was a new house, and so they were planting grass and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and the second time, the yard was, was good, but it, it, was, it, was, it was weeds everywhere. You know, it's, you look around, you got grass. You know, I, look, I drive down the road, and I see these folks with his yard, and they got that thick fescue grass. It looks like a golf course. You know, it's just so pretty. And uh, that's the kind of yard that Dana wanted. You know, she was like, well, what we need to do is we need to take this stuff. We need to take that. What is it? The weed killer that kills the weeds, but it does. It leaves the grass there. And we need to just spread that over the whole thing. Let it kill all the weeds that are in the yard. And there will only be grass left. And then we can go to planting grass where, where there's no stuff. And my thinking was, it's all green. Just leave it alone. You know, I don't really care. I don't care if that's patch of weeds over there or that patch. Of, I stand at the road and it's all green. Why would you want to kill the green stuff and have big dirt spots for three months until the grass grows? Let's just leave it like it is. It's green. If it's green, let's just, and that was my view. You know, it's, it's fine like it is. Why, why put the effort in? Why put the work in? Let's just leave. I mean, it's, you're driving down the road. All you see is green yard. I mean, it's green. It looks like grass to me. You know, it all looks the same to me. I end up running over her flowers and all kind of stuff with the lawnmower anyway. So all that's gone. We bought our house and there were these beautiful perennial flowers all the way around that six months. They did. They all did. There's nothing grass all the way up to the house. And so <clears throat> her thinking was, let's put in the effort. Let's let's make it. Let's excel. Let's make it perfect. Let's make it beautiful. Let's make it whatever. And my thought was, huh, so what? It's green. I'm going to leave it like it is. I'm not going to mess with it. No point in doing it. Let's just leave it like it is. We live that way in so many things. And the point of the the passage that we're going to see here today is that I don't really love the yard. I really don't care. And so mediocre is just fine with me. Now, if we go talking about something else, something that I love, let's say like when I was a kid, I played the guitar and I practiced and and I enjoyed it. I loved it. Mediocre is not good enough for me. I wanted to I wanted to excel at whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you love, you're going to chase that thing. You're going to make time for that. Whatever it is you love. Maybe it's you know, maybe it's exercise. You crazy if it is, but maybe it is. If you love exercise, you're going to chase after that thing. If you love fixing up your house, if you love, you know, tinkering on the old car, if you whatever it is that you love, you're going to make time for that. You're going to excel in that. Mediocre is not going to be good enough. Just doing enough to get by is not going to be good enough if you do that. So the problem that we see here and the problem that we have in our spiritual lives and what we're going to talk about today is not you need to do better. If you hear that from the message today and you walk out those doors thinking, wow, I need to do better. You have missed the point of what we're talking about. It's not do better. The point we're going to see today is that you and I need to examine our heart and see what it is that we love. Because whatever you love, it's going to come from the inside out. It's going to come from from what's in your heart and it's going to make its way out. And you're going to chase after, strive after, go for the things that you love. The problem is not you walking out going, man, I really need to do better for God. I need, you know, if we if we all come down to it, I don't care who you are from the pulpit all the way to the back door. We all need to do better for God. There's things in my life, things in yours that we could all improve. That's not the point. The point is 
We need to examine our hearts and see what it is that we love. See why it is that we have so much trouble spending time on our eternity, spending time on our relationship with God and not walk out of here going, well, I'm going to fix some things. I'm going to change some things in my life. The problem is if you don't love it, you won't change it. You may change it for a few weeks, but whatever you love is what you'll go back to. Okay, so anyway, that was all good. Examine how I was almost got into the whole thing. So look what he says. I, and I, this, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. I want you to see number one is that this love comes from God. I mean, it come, you can't walk out of here saying, well, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do better. This is not a command that he's given. He's not saying Philippians, you guys need to love more. You guys need to love God more. You need to pull up your bootstraps. You need to fix this in your life and you need to just go and you need to do better, dead gummit. He's not commanding them to do that. He's praying to God and he's letting them know, hey, I'm praying to God for you that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and judgment. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it's a prayer for him. Love comes from God. You stay right there, but I want to read to you first John chapter four, verses seven and eight. It says, this is John speaking. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse eight says, he that loveth knoweth not God for God is love. Love comes from God. I could read you a couple of more passages. I could read you Romans 5, 5. I could read you a few different ones, but to love God, to love his word, to love his ways, to love his people is something that comes from God himself. You and I don't have to be trained in how to sin how to love ourselves, how to be selfish, how to be idolaters. That comes naturally. If you've ever had a baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't have no trouble lying. They don't have no trouble learning how to steal things. They don't have no trouble uh, uh, doing disobeying parents. They don't have any trouble uh, being uh, the sinners that we all are. But when it says you, your love, this love of God, this love of, of not just the blessings of God, but your, but God himself, this relationship with God, it comes from him. And what we're going to see as we go through this passage is you and I are going to have to start if we love God. And if you've been born of God, you definitely love God because he promised he would put it in you. But if you and I love God and we want to grow in Christ and grow in the love that abounds more and more in, in, in knowledge and judgment and all those things that go along with this passage, we're going to have to put ourselves in the position for God to change our hearts. We're going to have to spend time. I don't care what kind of relationship you got. And you've heard me say this before. Whatever relationship it is, whether it's your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your auntie, your uncle's friends, roommate, whatever it is. If that relationship is going to grow, it's got to have time spent on it. It's got to have you have to spend time with your Whatever, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, if that relationship is going to grow at all, it's going to take time spent with each other. There's nothing else that's going to do it. There's you can go visit counselors. You can go look at plans and and points and things that you need to do and things that you need to fix and all those things. But it all boils down to the fact that no relationship can grow. No, especially a relationship with God. It cannot grow. 
if there is no time spent on it. And that's what we want is we want our hearts to grow in this love. We want our hearts to excel more for Christ. And if that desire is not there, if that desire, if you're, if I'm speaking and you're thinking about, well, I really don't care. If you've got the idea like I had about those yards, you know, well, it's fine. I'm doing enough to get by. It's all good. I come on Sunday morning and I, I believe that there was a man named Jesus and then he died on the cross and, and that's good enough for me. I don't need, if that's you, you need to to examine to your heart whether you be in the faith or not, because that directly contradicts God's word of what he will do in those that he saves. Now, are you perfect? Are you sinless? Of course not. That's not what we're talking about. But God says that I will take out when I when I sprinkle my blood upon you, says Ezekiel, he's talking about the coming of Christ and the Christ dying on the cross and being the sacrifice for sin. When I come and I save you, when I enact that new covenant, I'm going to take out that old heart and I'm going to put in a heart that desires to follow after me, that that desires to keep my commandments, that desires to know me and love me and serve me without that. You won't have it. You can't. We're unable to come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws us, unless he changes our heart. And so what we're talking about here is you and I putting ourselves in a position that God can continue changing our hearts. Because whatever you love, you're going to do. I mean, whatever you love, you are going to do. Uh, I talked about this Wednesday night. And I'm just going to kind of reiterate a little bit of what I've said. Christianity is not behavior modification. It's not me coming. You know, there's so many preachers out there, so many different ministries, so many things on the TV, so many. Christianity is not fixing your behavior. It's not me pulling out a list of rules and saying, okay, you got to keep number one, keep number two, keep number three. And you working down the rule. It's not that at all. It has to be a change of heart. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter three, look, you must be born again. It doesn't have Nicodemus was doing fine. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of Israel. He was keeping all the rules. If you looked at him, you would have said, wow, that guy has. I wish I could be as close to God as Nicodemus. But Jesus told him, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Those are his exact words that he told Nicodemus. It's all about God changing your heart, making you a new creature, not the old one that loves self and loves to do what you want to do and loves to do, loves to live for you. The one that he changes is the one who desires to live for Christ, desires to have relationship with him. You must be born again. And what I want you to see today is that 100% of the time, 100% of the time growing in Christ is the same way. It starts on the inside. It's got to be a heart issue. You can't walk out of here with a list of rules saying, well, I'm going to keep this now and I'm going to do this now and I'm going to change this and I'm going to start that because you won't keep it. You can't. You don't have the power to change your behavior to something that you don't love. Do you hear me? You don't have the power. You can walk out of those doors. You can say, I tell you what, I am making a decision today. I am going to change the way I do this. I am never, I'm going to start 
blocking out time that I can spend with the Lord. I'm going to start going and do whatever it is. You can make all kind of decisions by the sheer force of your will today and say, I'm never going back to the way I was. I'm going to do this. I want to get this done. I want to do that. But a week from now, two months from now, a year from now, you'll always go back to what you love. You'll always go back to what you love because what we love drives who we are. And so I can make you feel guilty. I told him this Wednesday night, I could stand up here with God's law. Man, I could make you feel so bad about what you're not doing and what you're supposed to be doing. You could walk out here, you would walk out of here in tears thinking, man, I'm just the sorest, low down, whatever. I could do that. And I could say, you know what, you need to fix this and you need to fix that. And probably there's things that most of us do. All of us need to fix and need to work on. I could make you feel so guilty, but the reality is that you will only, you will only chase after what you love. You may walk out and you may make a decision and say, you know what, I'm going to change. But you won't change. You'll change for a few weeks. You'll fix it for a few months, but you'll always fall back to what you love until there's a love for Christ. Let me give you just an example. You may say, you know what? I do not. I I pray like everybody else prays. You know, I wake up in the morning. God, thank you for today. Help me today. You know, give me a good day. Let me serve you today. And then I'm off to work. I don't block out some time to actually spend with God. Praying's hard work too. I'm not saying it ain't. I don't block out, let's just say 30 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever minutes, whatever it is. I don't block out that time and say, this is God's time. This is time. So you know what? Today, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to do that. From now on, I'm blocking out this time. I'm going to spend it with the Lord. I'm going to spend it in his presence so uh, he can mold me and shape me. And that's the only way you'll be molded and shaped is in the presence of God. It's his presence that changes our hearts. Just like Moses went to the mountain and when he came back, his face radiated the glory of the Lord. Our hearts are only changed as we come closer in relationship with this God. It's not about rules and and keeping laws and all those kind of things. The point is that your heart will change so you will desire to keep the rules, keep his laws, please him, live after him. So you say, you know what? I'm changing. Today I'm going to spend X amount of time with God and for the rest of my life I'm going to block it off. The problem is if it's not a love for you. You won't continue. It'll be like, oh, I'm so busy today. And I, man, I still got to pray. I still got to do, you know, I still got to do those things. I still, I still got to get to that time. That, you know, if, if it's a duty for you, if it's something you're doing just because I know I'm supposed to do it, you won't ever stick with it. But if it's a love of your heart, I can't wait. I got to get this done because I got to get with the Lord. I got to spend time with him. If it's something, if it's something that you're doing just because, well, I mean, I know I'm supposed to do it. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that this is what God wants. So I better get it done. That will never change your life. What you need, what I need is a heart that is changed to love the things of God. Love the pursuit of God, love the being in relationship with God, love coming and visiting with God and and, and spending time with him. What we need is that is that heart change. 
We need to position ourselves where our hearts are changed. The prayer that Paul made is the prayer that you and I are supposed to make. It's not about God, help me keep the rules. It's not about God, help me to do better. It's about God, change my heart to love you more today than I did yesterday. Change my heart to love you more tomorrow than I did today. God, you are the one that's going to have to mold me. You're the one that's going to have to change me and make me because I can't do it on my own. I'm selfish and my heart is ugly. It says that our hearts are, are desperately wicked. All of us. That means you too. And me as well. Our hearts do not want to serve anybody but ourselves. And so that heart has to be first changed by the Holy Spirit of God as he saves you and changes you into a new creature. But then as you grow in Christ, that heart has to continually change to love him more today than you did yesterday. That's the only way that you will grow in the Lord. Paul wanted the Philippians to grow in the Lord. He wanted them to do more and more. He wanted them to abound in their work for God, their service, their love for God. But his prayer was that their love, the love of their hearts would abound more and more. Now, real quickly, I'm running out of time. What kind of love are we talking about here? What kind of love do we see? He says it's a love that abounds more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, first, I'm going to go real quick on this because I'm definitely running out of time. But it says a love that is founded in knowledge. More and more, I want your love to grow in knowledge. This is, uh, understand that we're talking about, if knowledge, you could say it's in truth, true. What we want to say is you love, but your love is abounding in truth. It's abounding in right Knowledge. You can't say I've met so many people as as a youth pastor, as a hospital chaplain. I I hear it weekly all the time. My God wouldn't send people into judgment. My God wouldn't. My God doesn't mind sin and doctrine so much. My God doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you go and live the way you want to live. My God doesn't care. My God is a loving God and he, he would never judge a person because they make a mistake or anything like that. And usually my response is you're probably right because your God doesn't exist. What we're talking about is the God of the Bible here. That's the only God that we're talking about. We're talking about, let me tell you what, it takes a change of heart to love this God that has this standard that we live up to. He has this standard. You will have no other gods before me. He has a standard that says you will not dishonor your father and mother. You won't lie. You won't kill. You won't steal. You won't, you know all the rules. It takes a changed heart to love this God. Because if you come and you give a list of rules to a teenager or somebody like that, the first thing they're going to do is break the rules. First, let me see how far I can get away with all this stuff. And so what we're talking about here is a love of truth, the true God. We're not talking about if your God uh, will let you do whatever you want. If, you know, I've heard people say, well, my God really doesn't care if I watch pornography or not. Well, your God is you. You know, you've, you've created a God in your own image. And if you like this particular sin... Your God will be okay with that. If you like that particular sin, yeah, my God don't matter about that. You know, God's really not interested in all that about what you think about him, about right doctrine, about, you know, you can believe this and believe that. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. You got your way and I got my way and all that kind of stuff. That's not love. That's not the love we're talking about. If I put, boy, I wish I had a Coke can or something. Usually I have a, if I say this ink pen here is my God 
and I serve this ink pen, you would all look at me and like, that's ridiculous. That's the stupidest thing I've, I've ever seen. That's not a God at all. That's an inanimate ink pen. But if I said this ink pen here is my God and my, my ink pen God says that I can do whatever I want, you would say, how foolish, how stupid is that? But we do it in our minds all the time. We make this God in our own image and we say, well, he don't mind if I do this or if I do that. My God doesn't care. You can have your own way and I have my way. You know what? Don't judge me for serving the ink pen. Don't judge me for loving the ink pen. You don't have no right to tell me that my ink pen is not real and you don't have no right. I I mean, I could go through the whole deal with you. But the reality is you don't love God unless you love the only God. I could come to you and I could say, let me tell you what, I love my wife today more than I have ever loved her in my whole life. And you could say, if you didn't know her, she's sitting right there. If you, if you didn't know her, you could say, well, tell me about your wife. I'll say, oh, you, you just need to meet her. She's, she's this six foot five Native American woman. Oh, it's, she's just the greatest thing in the world. And all y'all who know my wife would be like, that ain't his wife. I don't know who he's talking about. He, I don't know who it is. He lo- you think you think she would take kindly to that description? She would. She'd be offended. She'd be like, "Who who who is this that you loving on?" Because it ain't me. Love for God is a love that's rooted in knowledge. It's rooted in truth. It's not this. It's not this God that we make up. And it's also rooted in judgment. Judgment means it's not condemnation here. It's talking about discerning, judging whether something's right, something's wrong. Judging whether something is good or whether something's evil. This idea that people have today about love, meaning, oh, I'm just tolerant of everybody and just you just have your thing. And if that's what you want to do, that's okay, And that's all good. That's not love. That's not love at all. That's toleration. And so the idea that that people have today where this love is just this politically correct thing where you just allow anybody to do whatever they want to do and you allow anybody to say or believe whatever. That's not love at all. In fact, that's actually the opposite of love, because the reality is that if you love somebody, you're not going to let them go off into danger. As a person who has a history with uh, with drugs and things like that, I can tell you that probably the most loving thing somebody could do is to chain you down and not allow you to have that drug that you're addicted to. It's going to cause some pain. It's going to cause some withdrawals. It's going to cause some things. They'll probably cuss at you. They'll probably say, I hate you. You're killing me. You're doing all those things. But it's the most loving thing that you can do to keep on feeding that thing that's eventually going to kill somebody is not love. That's enablement. And we see that all over the place. It is not unloving for you to warn somebody who is doctrinally about to jump off the cliff of destruction. It's not unloving for you to say, look, you need to understand God rightly. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to understand that there's a real heaven, that there's a real hell, that there's a real judgment. It is not unloving. It says, I want your love to abound more and more in knowledge and in judgment. I want your love to abound in discernment. You need to understand that there is God did not do away with right and wrong when he loved. God did not do that. He couldn't do that. God is perfect in every way. You've heard me say all this before. He's perfect in his love, perfect in his compassion, perfect in his righteousness, perfect in his holiness. He's also perfect in his justice. I don't know if any of y'all ever been in court before, but when you meet a judge face to face in court, a perfect 
judge is a judge that cannot let crimes go unpunished. He cannot. Not if he's perfect. Not a perfect judge. Now, of course, the guy down here in the courthouse, you know, he's not a perfect judge. They can do all all kind of different things. But we're talking about perfection here. A perfect judge cannot let crimes go unpunished. That perverts justice. Especially if it's you, you know, if somebody broke in your house last night, stole all your stuff and killed your family and you woke up and went to court today. They caught the guy. He's sitting right there. And the judge walked out and said, you know what? I'm just going to let you go. You know, it's all good. You would be screaming for justice and you'd be right to do so. That, that's a good thing. Justice is a good thing. God is a perfect judge in every crime. Every thought that you have that's a sin, every deed that you do, every motive that you have that's not right, everything that goes on in your mind, your heart, and in your actions will be judged by a holy God. He cannot set aside that justice. He did not leave off right and wrong because he loves you. What he did do was he sent his son to die on the cross and to take all that judgment, to take all that punishment. So God the Father can be perfectly just and still look at you and say, not guilty because all that justice, it wasn't just winked away. It wasn't just forgotten. It wasn't just done away with. It was poured out upon the head of his only son. So there's no more wrath left for those who trust in Christ. All there is, is love and and adoption for those who trust in him. So God didn't do away with right and wrong when he loved. He provided a substitute to take the wrong so that we could be called right. And if you look in scripture, you'll see that true love sometimes is really offensive. It really offends people. You know, I have a knack for offending people, but my knack for offending people is not. What are you laughing at? It ain't that funny. My knack for offending people usually is not righteous. Usually it's not because I love them so much. But if you look in scripture, you'll see Jesus, he loved everyone perfectly, right? The broken leper that came to him, he accepted. The humble prostitute that came to him, he accepted. The the repentant sinner, don't care who it was, came to him, he accepted. But there is some people that Jesus would not accept. It's those religious, righteous Pharisees who thought, you know what, I'm doing enough. I'm doing enough to get by. God's probably proud of me. He's probably happy with me. I got the robes. I got the temple. I got my sacrifice. I got my, my, my prayers that I make on the street corner every day. I got my, I, I'm doing enough. God's happy with me. It's all good. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He called them brood of vipers. He called them all kind of different names. He would not accept those who would not come to him in repentance. But did Jesus not love them? course he did he loved them enough to let them know you're in danger you're in danger and we you need to change you need to there's a a heart change that needs to take place in you you can't do it from the outside in let me hurry up i'm running out of time and so uh we see that uh we see that he says your love needs to abound in in judgment and it needs to abound in in uh in knowledge (coughs) excuse me And look at the results. I want you to see the results of it. In verse 10, it says, so that, man, it's already nine o'clock. I got to be done. It says, uh, the results of growing in this love are so that you can approve what's excellent. You can approve. You know what the enemy of excellent is? Pretty good. 
You would think the enemy of excellent is bad, but the enemy of excellent is, that's eh, good enough. Just like me with the yard. It's good enough. We don't have to worry about it. It'll never be excellent because I won't kill the weeds. <laughs> I won't kill the weeds and have them big brown patches in my yard and have to work through work. I won't do it. So it'll never be excellent because uh, it, it's pretty good. It's good enough. The point of all this, I need to wrap it up. It's close to nine o'clock. But the point of all this, and I could go on and, and read the rest of the two verses, and I really wish I had time. But the point of all this is that you are going to always strive for what you love. So what we have to do, what we have to do is put ourselves in a position for God to change our hearts, to love him more today than we did yesterday and to continue to grow in that love. You cannot grow as a believer unless your heart is growing in love for Christ. You can't. I don't care what kind of stuff you do. I don't care what kind of stuff you try to fix on the outside. Uh, You will always chase after excellence in the things that you love. I had uh, about this time last year, I sold my motorcycle and I just never rode it anymore. Just uh, it wasn't that fun anymore. I just didn't care. Well, I sold it to this guy. Some of y'all know the guy I sold it to. <clears throat> I saw a picture of it on his. He's got like the Facebook thing going on and all that. And this guy is <clears throat> I mean, he's all about motorcycles now. I mean, he's got <clears throat> ride to live and live to all that stuff. You know, I mean, he's a motorcycle man. He's done spent. I saw a picture of my motorcycle. It's his motorcycle now, but <clears throat> he's done spent. I don't know how much money putting all these accessories on the thing. He's got blue light shining up on the bottom of the deal and all spent just all this. He's probably spent more money on that motorcycle in the year that he's had it than I spent the whole time that I owned the thing. He loves it. He's chasing after excellence in that on that stuff. And he, motorcycles is what he loves. So he's not mediocre. It's not good enough. Just doing enough to get by is not good enough because he loves it. For me, I was like, you know, it's it's all in one piece and it looks good. I'm just going to ride it, you know, whatever. When I was a when I was a young boy, I played guitar every day, like hours. It never I never once said Oh man, I got to practice my guitar today. I hadn't, I never did that. If if it came to that, I wouldn't have continued because I didn't love it. I did love it. So I enjoyed doing it. I I relished the opportunity to come and practice the guitar and play and all that kind. You will always chase after what you love. No matter what it is, you'll make time for what you love. You'll sacrifice things for what you love. The problem is not, I've done come to the conclusion that the problem is not that I can preach it into you or I can, I can get you to do better or serve more, or worship more, all those things, because I can't, I can't do any of that. I can, I can get up here and sound it out as loud as, and as hard, and I can bring it, bring it, bring the hammer down so hard that you leave here just feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm just so awful and whatever, but nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to be any different. You'll do better for a few weeks. And I'm the same way. I'm not just saying, y'all, you will only chase after what you love. So the problem is not that I don't worship enough or I don't do good enough or I don't pray enough or I don't spend time in my Bible enough. I don't spend time in communion with this God who has saved me. That's not the problem. The problem is it's a heart problem. Why don't I love it? Why don't I love him enough to make time? Why don't I love him enough 
to seek after him, to seek for excellence in serving him, to seek after what he wants from me, to live a life that pleases him, to live a life that's growing in him. The problem is not walk out the door and say, you know what? I need to do better. All of us need to do better. The problem is why don't I have this inner desire to strive for him like I strive for all the other things in life that I love. Why don't I have that heart? So, you know, if you keep on reading, if we were to keep on reading, we could see that to, this growing in love will have results in your life. You'll be filled with the fruits of righteousness. You'll live a life at the very end of verse 11 that's glory, to glory and praise to God. So, but the point is, the point is, it's a matter of your heart. Don't walk out of here thinking, Man, I just need to do better. If that's what you think, you've missed the point. The point that you, the, the question you need to ask yourself is, why don't I love him? Why don't I love him like I love every other thing in this life? I strive after. I don't care who you are. I don't care what it is. You strive for excellence in the things that you love. You will sacrifice whatever it takes to get to what you love. You will do whatever needs to be done. You will remove things in your life for what you love. My question and Paul's question here in so many other places, this prayer for them is that their love for him would grow more and more. So the question you and I ask ourselves today is why don't I love him enough to strive for him? Why don't I love him enough to long to be in his presence? It's not a thing about, oh, I didn't say my prayers today. I didn't read my Bible today. That's the, wrong, that's the wrong heart anyway. The question is, why don't I love? If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, who cares? Who cares? I, I'm doing good. I'm doing way better than I used to. Who cares about it? You need to examine yourself whether you be in the faith or not. Because God said, I will put this love for me in you. It's not just a love for what God can give me. Nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be prosperous. It's not just a love for the benefits that God gives me. It's a love for him. If you are, if you're here and you don't have that, if, if there's something missing, my love for him is, I'm not saying your love for him is perfect and you, I, I'm saying you are chasing after what you love. So the question is, you look at your life, what are you chasing after? Somebody came and looked at your life. What would they say the most important thing to you is? And if it's not Christianity, church, Jesus, Bible, whatever, if it's not something in that arena, the question is why? Because Jesus is not an accessory that you hang on the, back, on the wagon of your life. He is your life if you've been born again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you today and thank you for your word. <laughs>